1: Good morning. This is the 3CR spoken word program. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm interviewing Dr. Peter Friedlander from the Australian National University. Morning Peter. Good morning Di. Um, now Peter you've been working on a translation of uh, a body of poetry by the 16th century poet saint from India, Kabir.
0: That's correct. And for many years I've been fascinated by Kabir and Over the years I've looked at different translations that people have made of his works and I've tried to see what the works would sound like if I translated them directly from the Hindi rather than looking at what other people have already translated them as into English.
1: And um, uh, let's just start with talking about who Kabir was. Um, Mm. Who was he? When did he live? Where did he come from? All that sort of thing.
0: Well, one of the funny things is that we often try and look at history as if it was a kind of a documentary. But a great deal of Indian history from times like the 15th and the 16th century is much more like a drama. And we can't necessarily know all the facts simply. So one of the things is that people from poorer sections of society, their dates of birth and their death dates were never recorded. So we can hazard a guess that perhaps Kabir was born Around 1400, many people say 1398. And traditionally, people who are highly revealed people in India are often thought to have lived for a long time. So many people believe that Kabir died as late as 1518. So perhaps he lived for 120 years. And where he lived, there there's perhaps less controversy. Everybody agrees he lived in North India, was born somewhere near Varanasi, and spent his life in Varanasi,
1: So uh, I think the significant thing about Kabir is um, that he's identified as having been born in a Muslim family but he trained in the Hindu tradition and then produced this amazing body of poetical work which um, has meant that he's had an enduring reputation for five or 600 years. Um, And, uh, you know, the poetry embodies a lot of... um, mystical experience mm. and uh, and religious ideas and it also crosses all the boundaries as well between Hindu and Muslim and Sikhs.
0: I suppose one factor there is that some of the modern boundaries that we see in India as well between for instance Hinduism and Sikhism didn't even exist when Kabir was born because at that time there was no such thing as the Sikh religion. It was something that was developing around that time. The other thing that might be worth mentioning here is that Kabir, you can tell from his name, was a Muslim. But that doesn't mean necessarily that he was a Muslim in the way we might now understand somebody to be a Muslim. And in all of his songs, he doesn't reveal in any way a detailed knowledge of Islam as is now taught in centers in India or elsewhere in the world. And instead, his vision of the world seems to be shaped by a kind of Indian heritage, which is a mixture of ideas that we might regard as being Hindu ideas and yogic ideas. And also there are strong traces of what you could think of as Buddhist influences as well.
1: Um, yes, and uh, it's all embodied in his amazing poetry. Would you like to read uh, one of the poems that you've translated?
0: Mm, I would do it, very much so. So there's a very famous Kabir song, which um, when I say a song, it's also a verse. But these verses were normally um, remembered as an oral tradition, and they could have been recited as prose, but normally they were sung. And here's an English translation of one of them. Where are you searching for me? O servant, I am near you. I am not in the goat, nor in the sheep, nor in the knife or the axe. I am not in hide, nor tail, nor flesh, nor bone. I am not in the temple or the mosque, not in the kaba or kailash. I am not in any Vedic rituals, nor in yoga or in renunciation. If you search, you will find straight away, in only an instant of seeking, I don't live in the city, nor is my home in the forest. Kabir says, listen, fellow seekers, I am the breath in all breaths. And that's quite typical of one of the features of Kabir's verses, which is that there's a strong renunciation or rejection of external religious practices which runs through very many of Kabir's verses it's one of the characteristics when people say, well, what was Kabir like? People will say, well, he was a strident critic. That's one of his things that we know about him. And one of the things that he's particularly critical of is the external practice of religion. And so when he's complaining in that song, for instance, about he can't be found in the goat or the sheep or the knife or the axe, this is actually, in a sense, a complaint about looking for God through animal sacrifice, which he's saying won't do any good because however much... You look inside an animal, you can't find the divine in any particular part of it. And in the same way, he criticizes people going to temples and mosques, because he says, if you just go outside, you won't find what's really to be found within your own self. And um, the Kaba and Kailash, now in India, those two words would be immediately resonant for most listeners, but in the West, possibly, we might think of Mecca, which is the city in which the Kaaba is situated. So by that we mean there's no point in searching within an Islamic tradition. And Kailash is also a very famous religious site, which is nowadays within China and is a famous Hindu site. So if you look at Kabir's songs, you'll see that this way of thinking, external practice, is not so valid. Internal practice is what to focus on, is a strong feature, and this idea that he, that the divine is to be found in the breath is another thing which comes out a great deal.
1: Yes, and it's um, it has it's quite a radical theology in an Indian context where there is so much dependency on Brahmins and rituals and mediators um, standing between you and some kind of experience or some kind of knowledge of truth. Whereas he's saying it's not um you, is you're not dependent on all those external priests and rituals and artifacts and physical mm. journeys it's an internal journey and it's an internal pilgrimage it's an internal understanding and and the knowledge is within your own breath so it's it's really quite um quite uh, a liberating perspective for a society that you know may have been very well it still is very hierarchical
0: mm I think that hierarchical aspect of Indian society is another of the things that Kabir is known for as a person who spoke against caste, who spoke against hierarchies and particularly criticised uh, the role of priests and religious specialists and the idea that they would be the people who could get liberation for you. So he's part of in what was at the time... Uh, n- perhaps you could call a a movement or a revolution, which is often associated with the notion of loving devotion, which in Hindi is called bhakti. And the bhakti movement said that all of the kinds of religiosity that depended upon intermediaries, priests and others, was not necessary because all that was necessary was that for the individual to practice their faith and to look within themselves for the devotion to the divine.
1: Now, some of Kabir's poetry is in the uh, Bible, so to speak, of the Sikhs, which is the Guru Granth Sahib. Um, How did that happen?
0: Well, after Kabir's death and possibly during Kabir's life, his songs became immensely popular, it seems, in North India. And people sang his songs all the way from Varanasi through towards Bengal to the east and also to the west. And as they spread from Varanasi, which is sort of halfway between Delhi and Calcutta. As they traveled to the west, they went beyond Delhi and they went to the area of the Punjab. And Guru Nanak and the other founders of the Sikh religion sang Kabir's songs amongst the other songs that they sang. And over time, people started to make notes of Kabir's songs. And by around 1570, they were compiling notebooks of verses which they thought were notable by the Sikh gurus and by other people who they felt were precursors of the Sikh Guru's teachings. And amongst those collections of notebooks, you can find Kabir's songs. Nowadays, we might think of the Guru Granth Sahib principally in relation to Punjabi language, but in fact its contents are in a variety of languages and in Hindi as well, so that the songs of Kabir are in Hindi, whether they are written in Guru Muki's script, the Punjabi script, or they're written in Devanagari script, which is used nowadays for Hindi, It's also probably worth realising that Kabir never wrote anything down himself. A famous song of his has a brief phrase in which he says, I've never touched pen or paper, but still I sung the praises of God.
1: Yeah, I think one of the exciting things about Kabir was that he um, had a life as a a lay person. He was a weaver, and um, so he showed that, uh, you know, People who were not ordained religious could mm. have, you know, the most profound spiritual insights. And uh, being being um, a sadhu or a brahmin was not necessary. You could be a, a householder with a normal work job career. You know, in his case, weaving, and also be uh, highly respected.
0: Mm. And he's also a kind of voice, therefore, for the, the the common man, the person who's like a social protester and. That comes out in a lot of his verses, and it was clearly a popular feature. And one of the earliest Kabir songs that we can find in a written form, which was written down perhaps within 50 or 60 years of his death, is in one of the verses collections, which were the basis for the Guru Granth Sahib. And I'll read it out as this one. It starts with this phrase: Kazi, a Muslim religious character. Kazi, within you is your one Lord. You contemplate and consider, but why can't you see? Driven crazy by faith, you don't awaken, so you waste away your life. You fast for Ramadan to honor Allah, but slaughter to satisfy your greed. You think of yourself and not of others. Why do you rant and rave? The Quran tells the truth. Allah is not man nor woman. Madman, haven't you studied or contemplated anything? There is no awareness in your heart. The mystery of Allah is hidden in everybody. Contemplate this within your heart. Kabir cries out, There is but one within both Hindu and Turk. And that's a very powerful kind of evocation of this idea that Kabir saw Hindus and Muslims and others in India at the time arguing about their particular religious traditions. But he also saw that beyond those arguments there was the divine to be found within all things and particularly within each person.
1: And um, do you think that, I mean, does Kabir fit into the Sufi tradition, which is also a very internally focused uh, mystical tradition?
0: So it's like Kabir's drawing upon the best things from all the traditions that he sees and hears. And people often say that he was a disciple of a man called Sheikh Taki, um, who was a Sufi sage who lived to the north of Varanasi in a town called Jonpur. And the truth is that Kabir must have heard Sufi sages singing. He must have heard uh, yogis singing their songs. He must have heard Hindu devotional songs being recited. He must have heard people from the more high caste Brahminical tradition giving teachings as well. So he would have heard everybody's voices. And then the things which he found of value within those, he echoed in his own teachings. And the things which he didn't approve of, he thoroughly scolded as well.
1: And I think the exciting thing is he did it in a poetic form and it was such a a pithy and essential sort of language that it was able to be memorised and transmitted by generations of of followers for centuries as well as being written down. And it's still the case that uh, it's an oral tradition in India at the present time.
0: Yes, very much the case. And I noticed when I started learning Kabir's uh, songs that... One of the genres is a kind of couplet. It's just two short lines. And I remember learning one of these and then reciting it at a poetry gathering in Benares in the 1980s. And I could hear as I recited it, everybody in the audience knew the verse already. And it was of no surprise to them, except to hear that it was being uttered by a Westerner. And it was actually a very nice verse, which sums up his teachings very nicely. And the English translation of it would be something like this. Everybody knows that there are countless drops in the ocean, but few are those who realize that in every drop there are countless oceans.
1: A beautiful piece.
0: It's also the case that because he's famous for these kind of short, pithy sayings, they're part of the kind of body of sayings which most Hindi speakers know. So in English we have all these phrases like as one door closes, another opens. In Hindi, quite a few of those sayings are actually Kabir's sayings.
1: So it's a bit like Shakespeare, so he's informed the vernacular language.
0: Absolutely, he's part of the lived language. And he's also extraordinarily diverse in his traditions of performance. So on the one hand you have these very critical songs about society and on the other hand you have very lyrical songs about love and about the love of the divine. And I think I'd like to bring out another side to Kabir as well by talking about how people in Rajasthan first were hearing Kabir's songs because Punjab, a little bit to the north, seems to be associated quite often with this kind of strongly critical view of society that Kabir has. And Rajasthan is strongly associated with Kabir as remembered in devotional traditions, in bhakti traditions. And here's a beautiful Kabir song which was first written down in 1582. She alone knows the pain is struck by the sharp arrow of Ram's love. She searches mind and body, but she never finds the wound. She can't find where to apply a healing balm. All women appear alike to her. Who knows who is Ram's beloved? Kabir says, she alone is fated. Who knows who will become the bride?
1: Yes, and interesting that he's writing from a female perspective.
0: So Kabir doesn't limit himself to speaking only from his own perspective, a Muslim weaver, a man, but also often employs a genre of Hindi poetry which is associated more with women's voices and particularly with what could be called marriage songs as well. So many of them are the kind of songs that women would sing on the times of marriage rituals. And a part of that was to sing about love and the difficulties of love. And, in a song like this, the notion of marriage becomes something quite different than the physical marriage in the world. It's the spiritual marriage, the marriage of the self and the supreme.
1: Yes, so the imagery is always a vehicle for conveying uh, you know another message which is a spiritual understanding. Um, do you have a an example of a recording of a Kabir poem being sung?
0: Yes, indeed I do, and this is a recording by Pandit Kumar Gandava, a famous modern interpreter of Kabir, of one of Kabir's most popular songs these days, which could be translated as having a title like Finally, finally the cloak is woven. <laughs>
1: So we're listening to uh, a sung version of a poem by the 16th century uh, or 15th century, isn't he? 15th century. yeah,
0: 15th, 16th either will be fine. Yeah, Uh,
1: poet, saint of India, Kabir. Um, And uh, tell me, uh, do you have a translation of that song there? Mm,
0: Indeed I do. Um, It's a lovely song, in fact, and it's one that speaks very much of Kabir as a Muslim weaver. And it could be translated something like this. Finally, finally, has the cloak been woven? What is the warp? What is the weft? With what thread is the cloak woven? The ira and the pingala veins are the warp and the weft. The sushmana vein is the thread to weave the cloak. The eight lotuses are the spinning wheel for the five elements and the three qualities of the cloak. Ten months it took to stitch, the shuttlecock flying back and forth and weaving the cloak. The cloak is worn by gods, men, and sages. All have stained that cloak as they wore it. The servant Kabir has worn it with care and returned the cloak just as it was given.
1: Now there's a lot of um, imagery, symbolic meaning in in those words. Can you explain some of those terms like the eight lotuses and the pingala and the sushima and all that? What yeah, does think, it refer to?
0: Hmm, I think it's essential to realize that a lot of Kabir's songs refer to a kind of visualization of the human body which includes the notion of there being a central vein that runs from the base of the spine up to the top of your head. And On either side, the left and the right, there are also two more veins called iro, ingala and bingala. Now, none of these, in a sense, necessarily actually physically exist, but they're visualization practices. And the idea is that people, as they're breathing, visualize that the breath is circulating through the different veins in the body. And as the breath rises up from the base of the spine towards the crown of the head, it passes through eight subtle centers called chakras to many people. And here they just called the eight lotuses. And here Kabir turns all of these things into metaphors for the spinning wheel which a weaver would use and then the loom upon which a weaver would make a cloak or a piece of fabric.
1: Yes, uh, it's, so, it, it's really quite a compact way of passing on a, a secret yogic practice.
0: And you often find that Kabir uses lots of analogies based upon everyday life in order to explain teachings. And I think you've got to imagine a situation in which he might have been addressing a group of farmers, so he'll use farming analogies. If he's talking to a group of weavers, he'll use weaving analogies. And if he was perhaps talking to a group of people who are devotees of a god, he might use some kind of devotional analogies as well.
1: Um, no, I... Uh You're working on a translation, an original translation from a manuscript that you've found in Allahabad, um, which is a, a, a very sort of undoctored manuscript compared to versions that have been made available. Can you talk a little bit about how Kabir has become known in the West?
0: I suppose it's about a century now since Kabir started to become widely known in the West. Um... Kabir's verses were probably first translated into English in the early part of the 19th century, but at that time people didn't really pick up very much on his teachings, except to some degree people noticed that he was critical of many Indian religions, and some people thought that was quite interesting. But they didn't really see the inner teachings in the verses and didn't appreciate them as poetry. But what really changed the West's appreciation for Kabir was In the early part of the 20th century, the Indian poet uh, Rabindranath Tagore uh, visited London and recited many of his own verses, for which he then won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1913 for his collection called Gitanjali. And at the same time, he was translating Kabir's verses into English and working with an English Christian mystic called Evelyn Underhill, They then produced a collection of a translation of a hundred verses by Kabir, which became very popular as it seemed to fit absolutely the bill for what an Indian mystic verse should sound like. In part, that was also because of the way that Evelyn Underhill, the Western mystic, understood what it was that people wanted to hear in the West. And since that time, Kabir's works have been retranslated into English countless times. And in many cases, they've literally been, well, some of the poets have described it as rendered into English. So, for instance, by the 1970s, uh, Tagore's translations into English sound very kind of old-fashioned. They're full of these and thous. They sound like a piece of 19th century Christian prose, basically, or verse. And a famous American author called Robert Bly uh, from the Beat Generation said that what he did was he took... Gore's translations and removed everything from them which he thought was unacceptable because it wasn't the kind of speech of the people of the beat generation and he created essentially entirely new Kabir songs and such things as a a verse which contained a reference to something like a dagger in the heart became a verse containing a reference to a, a pistol held under the arm and you also get versions where things like All the imagery is changed so that the cedar forest becomes an American pine forest.
1: It's a worry, isn't it? I mean, you know, like an inability to engage with the original manuscript to such an extent that it's completely twisted and changed.
0: To a degree what seems to happen is that the poets, when they render things... Um, are happy to rend out of it what they want to hear rather than perhaps what's in it. And if you can't read the original, that's also perhaps not surprising too because if you go from a, like a, it's like Chinese whispers, if you're going from the echo of the echo of the echo of the verse, then you're not going to necessarily appreciate what was in it originally.
1: And um, and the manuscript, the Hindi manuscript mm. that Tagore was working from was also a, a very much a, an edited manuscript, wasn't it?
0: Yes, that's another interesting thing, is that by this point, the beginning of the 20th century, some H- Indian authors, like a man called Shittimohan Sen, um, were writing down, and um, publishing versions of Kabir's verses, which were for the first time edited in a way that we might think of somebody taking something and then changing it quite radically. Perhaps it was explained by Kshiti Mohan Sen hearing people singing Kabir's songs in a kind of sermon setting in which people would take the song and extract elements from it and then talk about their significance. But what I noticed when I started looking at some of these texts a few years ago now was that these were actually versions of songs which were being sung in what in Indian terms would be called bhajan settings. So people gathered together, farmers, workers, traders, householders, in an evening singing songs And singing them according to the meters of the traditional verses because that's the way that they're remembered. Because if you remember that this is an oral tradition, it's very hard in a sense to remember free verse in comparison with remembering something in a regular metrical structure. And what I've done is I've made translations from the older versions of the songs, the versions which were still in Hindi in the original metrical structures, which had been preserved and were being popularly performed in northern India in the 19th century.
1: And um, have you completed your translation or have you still got a little bit of work to do on it?
0: Well, I've essentially completed my translation but I'm caught up in a bit of work which is trying to get it published. Um, i had a number of attempts to try and get it published in in India and elsewhere but I haven't quite managed to get it done yet. So there are a number of articles out by me in which there are translations of Kabir songs but at the moment the whole book of them isn't available yet but I'm hoping to get it published within the next year.
1: Okay. So would you like to share with us um, one last poem, uh, Peter?
0: Certainly I would, and this is one that I think is very beautiful. Oh mind, where will you go when you get to the other side? No path ahead, no traveller, no origin, nor destination to be seen. No water, no boat, nor boatman, no tow rope, nor one to pull on it. No earth, no sky, no creation, there is nothing No this shore nor that. No body, no mind, no self. No consciousness to be seen in emptiness. If you are fortunate and enter into the body, that place is there. Over and over, contemplate and see, O mind, Kabir says. Abandon all imagination. Stay just as you are.
1: Great. Yes, it's a little bit netty-netty, not this, not this, isn't it, Mm, as a philosophy? It Mm. is,
0: but it's also got this strong sort of imagery which reminds me of the vastness of the rivers of North India, this vision of how people talk about the importance of reaching somewhere, but they don't think, what would it be like once you've reached the vast expanse of the water?
1: And it is here, it is here. Mm. So we'll go out. I've been speaking to uh, Dr. Peter Friedlander about the poetry of Kabir and his own translation of Kabir Um, so we'll go out with some more music. Uh, What's the name of the artist?
0: This is by Prahlad Dipanya who's a very popular folk artist who performs Kabir's songs from Madhya Pradesh.
1: Okay thank you for coming in. You've been listening to the 3CR Spoken Word Program.
0: (laughs) और कर ही क्यों पछताएं? तूने बोया पेड़ बबूल का, तो फिर आम कहाँ से बान को लगा तो विकल होत शरीर तू करनी बिन कथनी अज्ञानी दिन, दिन कर समान भूसत